that creative part of being a chef is so exciting and so enjoyable that I never want to take that away from the team that I have to not be able to come forth with ideas. The early part of the year is often a time of reflection and goal setting in business and in life. Ruby Haupt is the 25-year-old chef of Frieda's, a Melbourne bistro she runs with her father that's named after her grandmother. Frieda's is about to turn one and Ruby is ready to push on and soar in 2023. Exciting times. Welcome Ruby to Dirty Linen. Thank you very much for having me. Tell us a little bit about your restaurant for people who don't know anything about it. So we're an, a European-style bistro. We really didn't want to kind of put ourselves in a category of Italian or Greek or whatever. And we serve mainly Italian cuisine with a bit of French influence. But as time's gone on, I've definitely seen my Macedonian side of my family from my mum's side coming through the menu a lot more. Um, we have a lunch menu and a dinner menu. The dinner menu is far more sophisticated, kind of people come here for celebrations and date nights um, with an extended menu. And then our lunch menu we've found works best being a simpler, more fast-paced um, style of menu as well as our big display of cakes and pastries that we do that from Friday to Sunday as well. Wow, yeah, so many different threads to what you do. And, I mean, you're so young to be a restaurateur. Tell us a bit about your background and how it all came to be. Well, it started when I was 16. We opened up a small coffee cake shop. This is my family called Ollie Roo, um, where I would bake with my mum in the morning and we would just serve cakes and sandwiches. And that was really the beginning um, of my career. I mean, the first catering event we did um, as a family, it was my mum, my dad and my sister, we were all there. So we um, had to go through working with a family at the beginning too, which has its all its own struggles. Um, the first catering event we did, I think we did for about 120 people. So we were straight in as a family doing that. Um, after that, I finished school and took a little break from hospitality, thinking that maybe I would go in another direction. Um, but that was short-lived and I started at Major Major in Smith Street, which was just a small cafe that Neil Sanderson, who's now the general manager of the Rockpool Group, owned. Um, and I ran that for a couple of years for him. And then he ended up getting me the job at Rosetta, where um, it really started more being more of a career choice for me when I was at Rosetta. Um, I had a fantastic head chef, Paul Eason, who really took me under his wing and allowed me to learn about pasta and showed me everything. I was mainly on the fish grill, but I worked my way around. I was there for about a year and a half, two years, and then lockdown hit. And I started my own little heat and eat business during lockdown, which further sparked my interest mainly in going into running a business for myself and being my own boss. Um, I had a few jobs in between and then my dad gave me a call and said, I've signed a lease, you need to quit your job and we're opening up a shop. And so here we are. 
dad, my God, like, what are you doing? Um, that's so amazing. And just so there's so much to talk about with everything you've just said. Um, what an articulate rundown and so much that you've crammed into a relatively short time. But I'd love to talk to you more about Rosetta because I've had the privilege of, you know, roaming around that kitchen a little bit and, and the pasta cellar downstairs, um, which is such an amazing um, setup. Can you tell us a bit about how, you know, the opportunities that you had at Rosetta and the, the different stations there are? Yeah, so Rosetta is, it was a fantastic place to, to learn and grow because there are so many sections in that kitchen um, and it really just takes you to show a little bit of interest and, I mean, I know the chefs still working there now. All it takes is to really ask and put yourself in a position where um, you want to learn and they do so. So Donatella, who's still working downstairs making pasta she showed me the ropes and um we did that together which was so much fun and such a great experience to learn because even though um in other restaurants you may learn how to make gnocchi or you know a single pasta the way rosetta works being such a big kitchen and serving so many people, you really understand the bulk and how much time it takes to to make hand-filled pasta at that level to that extent. So you learn pretty quickly. Um, That was just a small part of my time there. I learned a lot about the fish and being on the fish grill was my main section. Um, And, yeah, it was just a great opportunity to learn from going from just cafe work. I mean, I didn't even know how to read a docket properly when I first started there um, to understand courses and um, different the way different flavours work at that higher level. Um, it was a great start for me. And having a head chef like Paul, he just really made the process enjoyable and made me more enthusiastic to learn. Mm. Where Do you know where Paul is cooking now? I th- last I heard he was on a boat in Sydney. Um, <laughs> I haven't caught up with him for a little while, but um, he's a, a Rockpool original. Yeah, I remember I did a story with him when he was working at Rockpool in Melbourne and, yeah, I was super impressed with, um, yeah, just his approach to flavour and I guess building uh, really powerful, engaging dishes without too many elements. So I guess that's that real classic Rockpool style. Um, yeah. So, Ruby, I mean, I guess it's pretty smart that you've opened your own business or your dad took a lease on somewhere that's not quite of the, the Rosetta scale, that sort of massive machine at, a, at an institution like Crown. Um, t- tell us about, I mean, first of all, you're like, okay, dad, thanks, I guess. But um, then, you know, what did you, how did the room feel when you first walked in and, and how did how did you come to decide what sort of restaurant needed to be in that space? Well, um, I know it sounds crazy, but anyone who knows my dad knows that that's very much a Graham thing to do. That's how he's always been. He's always been a go-getter. And even though it seems always sudden when he makes different movements in life, it's always very considered. And when we he found this space, um, immediately I felt like it was a nighttime space and um, and so that's where our main trade came from, being at in dinner. But another part of our business is that my dad's created a coffee cart called Red Tops, which allows people in wheelchairs to be baristas. And that's his main project. So we have this 
um, coffee cart in our shop. And on the weekends, Lenny, um, who happens to be in a wheelchair, he's our barista over the weekend. So we had to kind of think about how we were going to make that more of part of the shop and that's how we kind of started to create the way that we were going to do lunch times and this big display that we do, do of um, cakes and pastries and focaccia that really brought people to us during the daytime because the nighttime was far more easy to to ease into because of the space that we have created. And I think that now we're in a position where all of those different elements are working really, really well together. And so this year is the time that we just want to continue doing that and growing that area of the business. Mm, okay, because, I mean, we haven't mentioned that you're on Brunswick Street in Fitzroy, which is a, I guess it's a strip that's going through some interesting times I mean I mean it's you know it was super popular a couple of decades ago it sort of fell away a little bit I mean tell us your impressions of the strip and, and what sort of what, you know what's the mood there at the moment well it's funny because the end that we are on in Brunswick Street we're down the um oh I'm so bad with directions but we're down an end where it's mainly the club bar scene we have the veggie bar across from us but we have honestly we've found it difficult at times with um the different crowds that it brings around here we've got the Evelyn on the corner um and but what we've found what we've been able to create is a little bit of a hub in the craziness of it all um for people to come and enjoy the space here and I mean the locals we have so many regulars and we've really tried to um be a part of the community here and it's been um responded to very well it goes through ebbs and flows of of crazy times obviously the Friday Saturday with the clubs and the bars being around is it's always heaving here um, like everyone, with not having as much movement around this city area um, for businesses, that's been we're trying to work out those times. But really, after lockdown, it's life, and it's what. Even though sometimes the crowds that it pulls may not be the crowds that I would have in our restaurant, it's still the hustle and bustle of being on Brunswick Street that we have learnt to love and to be like, this is where we are, this is the space that we've got and to, to enjoy it for, for what it is because it's an iconic street to be on, really. Yeah, that's so interesting. And I guess there is something so lovely about the restaurant as Haven, like I guess taking some energy from that street life, but then, you know, you can create your own buzz that, that feeds off it and yet is still different, has a different pace and rhythm and, and space within it. So, yeah, really, really interesting. Okay, so I'd love to talk more about the um, the all abilities uh, side of things. So is is that, a, I mean, why? has your dad or you know you as a family why have you why have you focused on that is there any particular reason as in with the coffee cart yeah I think my dad he has always been interested in doing something a bit different and he's engineered this cart because I think that we want to be able to show how simple it can be for a restaurant or a cafe to implement something that 
provides opportunity for a wider community. I mean, with the coffee cart that we've got, um, that Dad's made, there's no plumbing that's required. So it's all in the machine, it's all in the cart, and it's as, as simple as he's based it off um, a hospital bed, so it moves up and down. So when um, Lenny comes, who's in the wheelchair, he can roll in and the cart can lower down to it a height that he's able to work. And I think that especially in the time that we are in now where staff is such a problem for everyone, if there's a simple way to engage more of the community, I think it should be thought about more um, in restaurants and cafes and in hospitality because it allows a, a whole other fleet of people to come and work. Mm, absolutely. No, it's um, such a it's such a simple way. To, it's such a simple way to think about it. It's so obvious when you when you talk about it like that, and it makes me think of um, all things equal, a cafe in Balaclava that um, we had um, the manager and one of the workers, Lloyd, there, and so that's a, an all abilities cafe. They employ people um, alongside whatever support they need um, to work in a cafe and they're the only place in this busy strip that has a, a waiting list of people who want to work there. So where, where every other cafe in the, in the strip is hiring and desperate for staff, um, these people have, you know, more staff than they know what to do with. So, um, yeah, it's just really, it just really points to exactly what you're saying, which is um, there are a whole lot of people uh, who either have the skills or could be trained if only um, the workplace was um, supported their particular needs. Um, so, yeah, what a, what a fantastic thing. Have you found that, um, you know, word has got around to other people who use wheelchairs in terms of, you know, coming to Frida's? Absolutely. So Lenny um, has a big following and he, he, they bring, he brings people from all over the place to come and see. And we have um, just a portable ramp because of the space that we're in. It's quite small. So we had to try and be clever with, and it's an old building. So we had to be clever with how we were actually going to get the wheelchair users in. And we bought, you know, a, I don't think it cost us more any more than $500 to buy a ramp to put out our door to assist people to come in. And it's really made us a place that, not only in terms of the possibility to have staff, but also customers. So we had, we opened on Christmas Day and we had people, a person in a wheelchair was able to come and, and be part of it with their family. So all these little things are what we're trying to do to make it a space that allows everyone to come and enjoy and be a part of it here. So Ruby, you're coming up to your first anniversary there at um, at Frida's and, I mean, tell me how that's feeling. Like, well, how do you reflect on the year that's been and, and what are you hoping for or what are you, what are you planning to build in the year to come? Uh, I, I need to reflect. Sometimes I find that I don't. I just keep going. But I think that I couldn't be prouder of what we're doing here. We had such an amazing start. I think that... I was so nervous at the beginning, honestly, the the fear that you have when you're starting something on your own is second to none, but that I've been able to make that a real driving 
factor for me instead of making it something that cripples me. I've been able to use that to work harder and to work smarter as well. And I think that for this year, I just want to continue to be as creative as we can and to be as engaged as we can with um, our team and the customers that we have to understand how the best way to develop a business is because I think that part of the fear was being so young but I've realized that it's my biggest strength because I'm so open to learning it's not like I've worked out the way that I want to do it yet so my mind is so open to new ideas and I just I appreciate that within myself and I think that the team that we've built even though we don't have the most experienced members in our team we have the most eager people willing to learn and I think that that's about the space that we've created and I want to keep learning and to be able to grow with the team has is something that I want to continue to do um and I think that we just want to make the business as embedded as we can in the local community and more known to the wider community as well to ultimately have more people being able to come and see what we do and enjoy our enjoy our space and just continue really to grow to grow as the business that we, we've started mm, it's so interesting like when you think about learning and being open you also think well part of the learning process is is making mistakes but you're running a business like you're it's you know it can be dangerous to make mistakes because you've got to stay solvent and you've got people that are relying on you for for wages like how do you do that like how do you how do you stay open to learning and and to exploring your creativity but not but know which mistakes are going to be dangerous I I don't think you do know I think that after time, you get better at making different decisions that have a higher chance of working out, but you have to try. If you don't try, you'll never know. And I think that my dad, Graham, he's so passionate about us being a space that's fluid and that does something different and is not run of the mill. I mean, my dad's 63 now. So normally people would think that you would be thinking about retirement and that's nearly the opposite for him. And to have someone like him who is part of our management, I think is just really positive for everyone because all he wants us to do as young people in business is to give it a go. Um, and of course there has to be knowledge behind what you're doing. That's why we're in the position that we are, are in. Um, I think that as you learn and as you grow, you learn to make better decisions and really the fear is always there, but I think that of making the wrong decision, I mean, the fear of making the wrong decision is always there, but that helps you to think more about the ideas that you're putting forward to plan more to organize more to make sure that the idea that you're putting forth is going to be a good one because the fear of it not is high (laughs) (laughs) so what are some some scary things you've done that have really paid off over the last year Well, I think that opening Christmas Day was very nerve-wracking for me. I was taking my staff away from their 
friends and family and hoping for us to be a fully booked venue, and we were. Um, opening New Year's Eve, understanding those types of things, but really opening the shop in itself is just such a huge risk. We're in such an odd time to be starting a business, um, and really there's no guarantee that people are going to come. It's such a privilege that people come to your shop and the stakes are high. There's so much that people can go and see and do. And even with with my team, there's so many places that they can go and work now because, you know, everyone needs staff. So I think that even though really every day you're nervous about opening if people are going to come, even though we have the, all of our bookings and stuff now. And I still feel that pressure because I know that sometimes it doesn't matter how hard you work. It's not a given that people are going to come and eat at your shop. It's a privilege. And I think that our team and the way that we think really appreciate it. And so it makes the experience for people coming here special because we feel the weight that people are coming and spending their money or celebrating their special days and I think that one of the reasons why Christmas Day was such a risk was also because people were spending their Christmas Day you know really a the first Christmas with no real restrictions they were spending it with a family we had someone a little baby that had their first Christmas with us. It's a it's a big weight that people put in because they remember those days, um, and it's important for for us to recognise that and appreciate that people in, enjoy our space and that comes from our hard work. But it's still something that we will never take for granted here. Wow. So, how did you feel um, when you were you know locking the shop after Christmas? exhausted <laughs> so exhausted it was the I don't know what I was expecting I think that I thought that people you know I expected it to be more at home you know that people would be sitting and spending a long time here and you know really just enjoying the conversation it was the quickest service of my life people were just it that I think it was just because we had everyone come in at once and um, they still stayed for three hours, but we had so many courses. I don't know why I got my head in a different space, but it was amazing. We had the most positive reviews. We have people already booked for this coming Christmas. Um, so, yeah, very, very positive. Wow, that's really amazing. <laughs> so, Ruby, I mean, it sounds like culture is is really important to you, and you know, obviously, staff retention is key. But it feels like it's it's more than just a business decision for you that you're really trying to build a hospitality business that feels a certain way. Can mm. you talk about that? I think that it's really important to inspire your staff, like the first people that I'm selling my dish to are the waiters and the waitresses that we have in our hosts because if they don't believe in the product, if they don't enjoy the product that we are putting out and also if they have to deal with complaints all of the time, it's not going to be an enjoyable workspace. And from the chef side of things, I think that 
one thing that I noticed working in a bigger restaurant or bigger spaces is that unless you're really high up, you don't have that much creative ability to be part of the menu decisions and be part of the ideas. And I think that that is such a huge part of being a chef, of course, learning the skills and the proper way to do things is huge. You have to do that. But that creative part of being a chef is so exciting and so enjoyable that I never want to take that away from the team that I have to not be able to come forth with ideas. And the same with front of house. They're the ones that deal with the customers the most so if I don't create a space where they feel they're able to come and talk to me about what they think we could improve on what people are really liking at the end of the day it's not going to benefit me it's going to be detrimental to the business and I think that now more than ever when there's so many places where people can work you need to be able to to make people want to stay with you. And we have lots of wine tastings and it's enjoyable for everyone to learn. And I think that me being another great thing about me being young and doing this at this time of my life is that I'm learning with them. And I think that that, I think you never should stop learning, but maybe being young and being at the same age as them makes them feel like we're doing this together and we're growing together. Um, And so, so far that's working. We have a fantastic team and to see the way that some of the staff have grown from being from the beginning to now and the amount of um, faith that I have that they're doing the right thing is really great. Wow. I mean, yeah, that does sound good. And I suppose I'm sort of hearing a lot of humility in the way that you approach what you do, uh, which I guess is very different from the classic sort of top-down, I know everything sort of restaurateur or, or head chef um, model. But, I mean, have you come upon in the last year some really tricky times where you have had to make tough decisions or have difficult conversations with people and step more into uh, that that leader role? Oh, absolutely. I think that, you know, sometimes that may have sounded like it was all happy times and it's not. I think that there needs to still be a respect factor, but I think that there's a way to gain respect that doesn't mean you have to say respect me. I think it's in the way that you work and I think that my staff, it's an it's almost like an aura, they call it, that I have an aura that they know who the boss is and that's not by me saying I'm the boss. I think that they see how hard I work, that they see that I will do everything that they do plus more and I think that they respect that in me and that I really work hard to make them happy here and they also know that, you know, if they're, five minutes late that's very late to me because they should be 15 minutes early um and they know that if they I think that that's also part of showing them that I wouldn't do that to them you know I speak to them with respect and they do the same to me and I think that 
that's the way that I just am as a person. And if, you know, it certainly gets tense. I mean, when on New Year's Eve we did 155 covers and it's just me and Cam in the kitchen and, you know, ten, it's high. It's not like it's all, it's all easy going, but the, the intensity you have to learn to enjoy and they know in those moments it's time to be serious it's not something that I feel like I have to tell people and I think I had a conversation with one of the team the other day and I said I've hired them all as adults it's not like they're children most of them are older than me so I'm not going to say certain things you just expect certain things because if I have to say everything that you expect people to do it's a long list that has to get done but if you can hire staff where the expectation is the same as you it makes certainly makes your life a lot easier but I think that it's in the way that I carry myself how hard I work the attention to detail that you know everyone has that's higher up in the team that trickles down and shows people that this is how we work here it's not it does it shouldn't have to always be a conversation yeah love that and what about being a woman you know a young woman business owner in an industry that there are for sure a lot of female leaders in now but you'd have to say it's still male dominated especially you know in those um those higher levels, uh, how's that been? Look, I, my parents are very hard workers and I, I have just my sister and so we're a girl family. I've never even thought about it, to be honest, because this is just who I am. But I think that the sense now that we're getting more chefs and stuff in it is in the back of my mind that being a 25-year-old girl and having um, male-dominant chefs coming in, how they would treat me. But, I again, I just think that I wouldn't take it. It's not something that I would handle. It's not something that I would in any way accept in, in our space. And lucky I have not had to to deal with that too much. But if the time came... I think that I work hard enough and even if I didn't work hard enough, the respect has to be there. Um, I think that there are definitely times because I've got Cam in the kitchen with me who's, you know, a bit older than me and all tatted up guys when people come to the kitchen to thank us and, you know, the conversation is automatically directed at him if, you know, if um, they don't know who I am. But, I'm not that type of person that I need that um, recognition yet. It's not something that I really feel like I'm not the type of person that is about look at me. But I think that we've just tried to create a space that is so equal and so fair that if we were to have that type of person, they would stand out so clearly amongst the rest of the team that, they would feel as stupid as they should in that position. <laughs> <laughs> um, Ruby, tell us about about Frida, who you've named the restaurant after. So Frida, the dad's side of the family is South African. Frida, not so much 
um, a food. And she's a fantastic cook, but not in terms of the food that I cook. Is she an inspiration? But in terms of the woman that she is, I mean, she's still around. She's ninety. 93 um she's so strong and independent and extremely feisty i mean she still scares the shit out of me to this day if i do something wrong but we're great friends and i think that dad side of the fact they had quite a hard upbringing they grew up in south africa during the apartheid and i think that it was really important for me to name my first restaurant after her and for her to realize, you know, to have something that was hers. So we're great friends. I mean, we talk all of the time on the phone and I go and see her on my days off and she's just an amazing woman. Love that. And so, Ruby, when I come to Frida's, because I still haven't been, I've had a year to do it and it hasn't happened. That's naughty, but I'll do it. And when I do come, what would you recommend that I eat? Well, I would recommend the Feed Me, but it would be the Ruby Feed Me. So I'll just send you whatever specials that we have on that I think are the best of the day. We've just changed. We change the menu so often. Um, it's actually hard to train the staff about a dish because I change it. And I think that you kind of go one way or the other. You either stick to the classics and, and keep keep it going that way or, or you change often. And lucky from the beginning, we've always changed so that people who do come often, they enjoy that change. At the moment, um, looking at the menu that we have, I mean, we the duck breast is definitely a signature here. We brine it and dry it and we serve it with a sweet potato puree and morello cherries and a jus. And then we've just had a really, really good um, side, which is my favourite dish on at the moment, which is char-grilled corn with a smoked yoghurt and a brown butter vinaigrette. So really just come and I'll feed you and I'll make sure that you enjoy it. <laughs> that sounds amazing. I'm definitely up for you feeding me, Ruby. It sounds really good. Um, so... Let's finish with a little look ahead to the year, you know, year two. What do you, well, what do you want to be looking back on at the end of your second year in business? I think that I just want us to, to really develop more about how the best way we're going to get the most people to come and visit us, what the best way to do that is, how we can continue to learn as a business if if that is opening different hours or to just never stop that process of wanting to be better I think that I would love to to have a team that's more full-time we've got a lot of casual staff and I would love to get them on on board full-time and just to develop each part of our business so that we're, we're in a position to hopefully open more in the future and to continue producing stuff that we are really proud of. I think that that's always going to be the number one goal with people coming or not coming. You have to be proud of what you do and certainly we're, we're on the right track for that. Amazing. Well, I reckon it's going to be a good year for you. I certainly hope it is. Um, it's been really amazing to learn a bit more about about what you do and your approach to it all. Um, yeah, certainly wish you all the best and thank you so much for sharing with us today. 
Thank you. Thank you for having me. This is Dirty Linen and I'm Danny Vallant. We air the issues that the hospitality industry finds hard to talk about, hearing from different people with unique perspectives. We want to hear from you as well. If you have something that needs to be said about a topic, get in touch so we can include your perspective. Contact us at dirtylinen at deepintheweeds.com.au or hit us up on Insta at Dirty Linen Podcast. We can't wait to hear from you. This.